<laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, let's have a quick time of prayer before we dive in. Have some fun today. Uh, Father, we pray that in the next few minutes you would be our teacher. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text for this morning comes from John chapter 15. I'll invite you to turn with me. John 15, we're going to start at verse 7, and we're going to read through 17. Hear the word of the Lord, John 15, 7 through 17. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father. I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Now, uh, these words come out of what is known as the farewell discourse. Uh, John 14, 15, and 16. And here's the idea. Uh, Jesus is about to go to the cross. So he's about to leave the disciples. And he has this final briefing with them. And right, am I thinking right, whenever you have a final briefing, those of you who've ever seen a child go off to college, what you gave them right before they drove out of the driveway off to college That was what you really wanted them to remember, right? Oh, by the way, uh, this is yes and this is uh. -uh. (laughs) Those of you who are at the seminar already know this, but uh, I I just love feedback. Is that okay? We can, yeah, no, and when is lunch? (laughs) But whatever that child, whatever you really want that child to remember when they're pulling out of the driveway, that's what you give them last. Whatever you do, don't forget this. Well, that's Jesus in the farewell discourse. And he comes along and he says, okay, guys, let me tell you something. I'm going to go away, but you're going to be okay. In fact, you're going to be more than okay because my father and I, we're going to send the spirit and he's going to help you. And I want you to know this, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Where I am, you can be also, and the Spirit is going to prepare you for the place. 
That's why, as, as a believer, you're still here. Does that make sense? The only reason you're not in heaven this morning is you're not quite ready. <laughs> That's pretty cool, isn't it? And when you're ready and when the place is ready, it's going to happen, baby. Right? <laughs> okay. So I go to prepare a place for you. The Spirit's going to come. You're going to be okay. In fact, you're going to be more than okay because one of the things I'm going to give you is a direct line to the Father. You with me? You're going to be able to call on him at any time. The one who hung the Andromeda galaxy will listen to you and entertain whatever you ask. Now, let me ask, have you ever noticed this? That um, the word of God always commands toward our weaknesses. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed there is no command in the word of God, thou shalt thoroughly enjoy thy dessert? need a command to enjoy dessert. You love dessert. Some of you eat it first, <laughs> right? But where the word of God commands us, we need to pay close attention because that's where our weakness is. And if you are going to sum up all that Jesus said about prayer and the privilege of this direct line with the Father, if you are going to sum it all up in one word, it would be this word right here. You want to understand the parables of Jesus? You want to understand all he taught about prayer? You want to know how to go do life? It's all in the word, ask. I mean, Jesus just sits on this theme. He does not let up. Now, why is that? Well, first of all, there is basically a, a, a big question that happened about the time of the Old Testament through that couple of thousand years of the Old Testament. And here was the question. The question was, uh, is Yahweh a local tribal deity? and therefore very personal, or is he infinite and therefore kind of distant? And you're looking at me like, uh huh, what? Here's what I mean by that. There was a, a question in the Old Testament of, was there a God of Loudon and a different God of Manchester? and a different God of Concord. And this God, since he only had a really small town to zero in on, he, know, he knew you by name. But if you were going to travel over to Concord, you kind of hoped he liked you enough to tell the God of Concord you were coming. <laughs> and to be really nice to you. <laughs> so was Yahweh just one of these kind of regional deities, do you see? Or was he infinite, and because he was so infinite, he probably doesn't know your name. I mean, you're just one of seven billion people on the earth, you know? 
And this was a big question. So was God, uh, was, was he infinite or was he personal? You with me? That makes sense? Okay, follow me. Okay, this is, it gets a little academic, so give me your help here, okay? And um, what this really meant was <clears throat> let, let me put it this way. What was so astonishing about the Bible, what was so astonishing about the Old Testament, is that it claimed that the infinite God dwelled in one place on the earth. At that time, it was the temple. You see how that could be a bit scandalous? Well, is he infinite and distant, or is he local and personal? Well, he is infinite, and he dwells in one place on the earth. Now, folks, that was outside-the-box thinking. That was scandalous thinking at the time. And you can see why. And you can see how it got even more scandalous. The infinite God not only dwells in one being, but he dwells in one person who is, yes, the Lord Jesus. And by the way, now where does the infinite God dwell? What? Us. Yes. Yes. Do you see how it just kind of grows? And, it's, and what this means is that when the, when the Old Testament, when the Word of God stepped into this whole question, it means that there is nothing like Psalm 23 in all of ancient Mediterranean literature. The Lord, Yahweh, is my shepherd. And that my, me, my, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He's with me through the valley of the shadow of death. That, that pronoun in Hebrew is in Psalm 23 12 times. And it is by design of the Holy Spirit. It's saying this, uh, your father is infinite, yes. But he cares about the nitty-gritty details of your life. Is that neat? You want to just have a party? <laughs> you just want to stop and have, take a break? <laughs> In other words, what he is saying is uh, you're going to... When, when Jesus says... Ask, keep on asking. Don't let your heart die when you approach the infinite God because he cares about the struggles and the details and the temptations and your quirks and your problems in life. Jesus sits on this theme and he keeps bringing it up over and over again. Why? Because he knows you and I are prone to forget it. He knows you and I, right? Am I right? Now be honest, right? How many of you, are real, how many of you have a spiritual gift of forgetting? <laughs> and listen, the more birthdays you have, 
<laughs> right? <laughs> so whenever you see Jesus sitting on a theme, he knows the propensity for you and for me to forget. He also knows the propensity for you and me to fall into raw old unbelief. Now, what do I mean by that? Uh, in, I'm just going to draw it this way. This is a road. I know, I'm not much of, a, of an artist. <clears throat> but just go with me on it. <laughs> the road, this is the road of asking. And Jesus sits on this thing. And there are two ditches in the side of the road. One he calls uh, improper asking or wrong asking or bad, you know, asking. What passage of Scripture in the New Testament do you know of that deals with wrong asking? It's, oh, close, but uh, let me just go ahead and give it to you. It is uh, James chapter 4, and especially 1 through 4. And where James instructs us, he says, now look, yes, Jesus said you can ask anything in my name, but I just want you to know, if you ask according to your lusts, you're an adulterous generation. You, you know, I mean, it's just your passions within you are getting you into deep trouble. This is James 4, okay? Okay, so what's bad asking? Um, uh, this would be me asking the Father if I could leave, uh, if I could just trade in my wife. <laughs> after, after 37 years of marriage, uh, if I, could I trade her in? Uh, I don't know, because I'm not happy, or she burned the toast. I don't know. Okay. So, anyway. Can I trade her in and move to Las Vegas and marry Fifi LaFrance? <laughs> that was, most people think that's funny, but I guess I forgot to tell you. <laughs> Asking purely according to your lusts in clear violation of the Word of God. That's a problem. That's a rut in the side of the road you can get stuck in. However, there's another rut in the side of the road that you can get stuck in, and that is this one over here, just simply called not asking at all. Now, if there's one main passage in the New Testament that deals with improper asking, how many passages in the New Testament? Oh, let me just let me narrow it down. How many passages in the farewell discourse alone? How many times does Jesus say, "Ask of me, ask in my name, ask whatever you wish"? How many? Anybody want to guess? In John fourteen, fifteen, and sixteen, how many times Jesus says, "Ask of me." Twelve? That's a great. That's a great guess. Anybody else? Just for fun. Don't worry. This won't be on the test. Thirty-three. <laughs> great. Yeah. Let me. Let me just go ahead. And yes. Uh huh. Twenty. Great. Great. These are great. Yes. Actually, it's six times. <laughs> but let me tell you something. If Pastor Josh or Pastor Pat 
get up and say the same point six times in a sermon? What does that tell you? Yeah, (laughs) they're really nervous you're not going to get it the first five times. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yeah. In other words, he just sits on this because he knows our propensity to shut our hearts down and live like orphans. There is a battle going on in your heart and in mine, and it's just as alive today as it's ever been, and it's the battle of unbelief. Raw, old unbelief. And Jesus, which one do you think he's, which rut in the side of the road do you think he's more nervous about? (laughs) Bad asking or not asking at all? When was the last time you asked your father for something and then you waited and you watched to see what he was going to do? And you remembered asking, and you're paying attention to what's going on in life. For a lot of us, it's been a long, long time. And you know why? I'm going to throw this in for free, because I think I'm doing pretty good on time. (laughs) You might take issue with that. (laughs) But here's what happened. This is a timeline, okay? And... uh, Here, uh, Jesus comes to earth at this point. I mean, okay, we'll say about 4 B.C. And and this is today, okay? So, 4 B.C., and this is today. Now, Jesus came to earth, and in 300 years, just a short 300 years, Christianity so impacted and spread throughout the world that it had taken hold in the Roman Empire. So, okay, this is, this is the first 300 years, and this uh, represents Constantine and uh, the Battle of the Milvian vid, uh, Bridge. Do you remember, uh, remember that from your history? They were, it was part of the Roman Civil Wars in the fourth century. And uh, basically, Christianity took hold and became an influential power throughout all of Western culture. And that lasted very powerfully. I mean, wait a minute, let me just tell you. Uh, what did it look like when the gospel influenced Western civilization? Um, abortion became illegal in the Roman Empire. Crucifixion became illegal because it was just considered to be way too cruel, even for a capital criminal. You know, um, uh, it, it gradually became that uh, women were to be valued the way men were. You see the influence of the gospel on culture? But then something happened, and I'm going to do this in a different color. This is right here. About the time, 1789, it was the time of the French Revolution. We went through a period, we started a new period called the Enlightenment. Remember that from your studies at school? And the Enlightenment was simply this. It was man saying, I don't need God anymore. I just need reason. 
okay? I can, as a man, or as a woman, as a person, I can begin with myself through human reason and end with myself. Everything has a rational explanation. I don't need God anymore. I don't need the invisible. And when this began to happen about 1789 in the French Revolution, what happened was Western culture began disintegrating. It just kind of started unraveling. And boy, is it ever unraveling in our day and time, isn't it? I mean, hello, we can't even define marriage anymore. We don't even know the difference between a male and a female. I mean, we can't define when life began. I mean, it's chaos out there. And I think it's one of the reasons like we Americans are in a really bad mood all the time. <laughs> Have you ever wondered why are Americans so grumpy? <laughs> I think it's because we deserted the father, decided to go do life on our own, and we don't have a clue what we're doing. It's not going well. And it's almost as if Jesus is going, guys, guys, this is why I said, stay connected to me. Use this direct line. Ask of me. Let's do your life together. You can't do life on your own. Hello. You can't do marriage on your own. You can't rear children on your own. You know, you can't do illness on your own. You can't do death on your own. Amen? And I'm here for you. Let's do it together. That's why I'm telling you throughout all of your lives, ask of me. Ask in my name. Ask without sense of limits. Enter into these prayer stories with me, and let's you and I have a great time, even if the rest of the culture doesn't want in. <laughs> you and I will have a party if nobody else wants one. Am I right? You with me? See why Jesus sits on this? Now, here's the big thing on all of this, and that, boy, when we go right at the unbelief in our hearts, the question comes up. Does it make you nervous that Jesus says, ask anything? Ask without any sense of limits. Does that make you nervous? Yeah, that's kind of freaky. Lord, are you a Santa Claus? Are you a genie in a bottle? What are you saying? I don't know that I want to have that kind of power, to be honest with you. And if you just isolate a couple of the verses alone and take them out of context, you could come up with that kind of misunderstanding. But here's how Jesus puts it in John 15. He uses a kind of um, a poetic thought structure called a chiism. Uh, Pastor Josh, do they know what a chiism is? you guys know what a chiism is? Let me... C-H-I-A-S-M. Does that ring a bell? Kind of, oh, good. Yeah, some of you are not. It's, the idea is you, uh, it's a type of poetry where the teacher would start with a theme and develop these internal themes and come back out to end with the theme. You say, uh, what? <laughs> huh? Oh, I'm so glad you said, huh? Because 
here, I really wanted to tell you what this is. Um, a chiasm has to be taken all in one chunk, all right? It's like a sandwich. And I want you just to imagine that I'm holding up a sandwich like this. And there's a top piece of bread and a lower piece of bread, okay? So here's the top piece, and here's the lower piece. Okay, you with me, everybody? Yeah, I know what a sandwich Okay, good. He begins the chiasm. He begins the thought structure with this. Guys, I want you asking. And then he likens the theme to this, abiding, staying connected. He ends the, the chiasm with asking. Only now, instead of just staying connected, he puts a little slightly different rendition on it. And it's, it's asking loving. Okay? Well, does that make sense? Loving others, as loving one another as I have loved you. Now, just looking at the text, what do you see? What do you see are, are the ingredients of this sandwich, of this chiastic sandwich? Well, it's neat. What, is, what does Jesus say? Uh, first of all, he says, uh, let's, let's do this color. He says, first of all, what? Guys, I want you asking and abiding because by this is my Father glorified. It brings glory to the Father when you don't shut your heart down and you begin asking big things of me. Amen? He even says, uh, uh, not only this, uh, by this is my Father glorified, but that you bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. Does that make like, you see where this is going? So the, um, the, the, my father being glorified, that's the mustard. Okay? The mayo is the bearing fruit. The lettuce is what? When you see it, obedience. Make sense? Yeah? Neat? Is this cool? And then in the middle of the chiasm... He throws in this, this neat thing called joy. I think of joy as the uh, tomatoes. Do you get great tomatoes here about the end of August after it's been hot? Oh, don't you love how they burst with flavor in a sandwich? And then the rest of the year is just kind of looking forward to August again? <laughs> and in a chiasm, often what comes in the middle doesn't necessarily logically follow the rest of the teaching. It's just kind of thrown in for fun. I, I think it's just thrown in for flavor. A amen? Is that okay? Where's the beef? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I've been doing this 16 years and I've not heard that one. <laughs> And then he comes back here and he says, now this is my command that you love one another and that you love one another sacrificially as I have loved you. Do you see? See where, see where this is going? 
And then he said, listen, and not only that, you and I will share the intimacy of friends. We will be friends. Hey, is that powerful or is that not powerful? Right? Why does Jesus shift out of the family metaphor here in this body of of Scripture? Why does he shift out of it and say that we'll be friends? Think of it this way. This morning, if your son or daughter or if your cousin called you from the emergency room, wouldn't you have to go? Right? You just kind of have to go. (laughs) Okay? And you show up. They're not super surprised that you showed up because you're family. Right? But if a friend called you from the emergency room and you showed up, wow. You didn't have to show up, but you dropped everything to come be with me in the emergency room. Now, but that's what I call a dear friend. And Jesus says, you'll no longer be a servant, but you'll be a friend. And I will make known to you all that the Father has made known to me. So do you see what, you see where Jesus is going with this? Look, he's saying, I know you don't know the will of God in every story of your life, do you? You don't know. But Jesus is saying, look, don't shut your heart down just because you don't know. Ask of me. Be alive. Connect with me. Ask in my name. Ask without sense of limits. Don't disqualify out of ignorance. Because when you ask, I will meet you in the asking. Okay? I mean, if you're asking selfishly, I'll come meet you there. (laughs) Okay? We'll come work on your selfishness. If you're asking amiss, I'll meet you there. I'll disciple you into getting focused. You know, yeah, are, you, are you with me? Hello? Yeah. <laughs> but Lord, won't I crash the plane? Don't worry, I won't let you crash the plane. I will disciple you in your asking. But I do make... I, I require you to come, and I require you to ask. You see, the implication is the Father has a certain cachet of blessing that he gives only to those who come to him and only to those who ask. Now, what does that tell you about his heart? He loves being asked, and he loves being generous. Isn't that neat? He says in Luke 11, you know how much you love giving good gifts to your kids? I love giving the Holy Spirit to those who ask me. Amen. Isn't that neat? 
And I'll just give you a quick example. When I was uh, a junior in high school, I fell madly in love with a woman. I, I, not a woman, I mean, a, what, what do you call a fellow junior in high school? <laughs> What's the PC word? <laughs> a girl. Uh, you know. And I fell madly in love with her, and I was quite certain I could not do life without her. And she loved me up to a point. <laughs> And then she broke up with me, and that was the end of life as I knew it. <laughs> I just thought all of Western culture was going to implode. And I remember, I was a believer, and I, was re I remember asking the Father that she would come back and that we could rebuild in this relationship and we could maybe get married. I mean, I don't know, 16, what do you know? You know, what do you know about that? Anyway, I remember praying, and you know what my father did? Isn't it great? Don't you love it? I asked that she would come back and that we could spend our lives together. And she didn't come back and we didn't spend our life together. And you're, I am so glad. Because <laughs> right after that I met Helen. And I am wildly in love with my wife. After 37, three years of dating and 37 years of marriage, she is the joy of my life. And if the father had given me what I was asking, I'm sh quite sure I would have been miserable. He gave me something even better. So is the moral of that story don't ask because you don't know the will of God? No, the moral of that story is ask, ask, ask of me, ask in my name. Don't shut your heart down. But ultimately, ultimately, know this, the Father either is going to generously and delightfully give you what you've asked for, or he's going to give you something much better, perhaps even beyond your wildest dreams. Amen. Three cheers. Hallelujah. What do you, now that has got to make you come alive. <laughs> oh, oh, Father, uh, we thank you in Jesus' name for your heart, your generous heart. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for just sitting on this theme throughout the Gospels. Thank you for your parables that just reinforce this. Thank you for living your earthly life this way. Oh, Father, thank you that you love it when we ask and that you delight in our asking because of the Lamb who was slain. We glory in this gospel of the Lord Jesus. Oh, Father, would you give us faith and courage in this time of post-enlightenment chaos? May we be different. May we know the joy of the Lord. May our joy be full and complete because we're being given Jesus' joy. There is so much here in this passage to enjoy. And we thank you, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.